Welcome to the complicatedly misunderstood hour, the true, <laughs> the legit episode eight. Last week I got ahead of myself. I was so excited to do a pod. I didn't just named it what I named it and called it the wrong number. So I apologize. Last week was actually episode seven. This is episode eight. As always, I appreciate everybody that's been paying attention Listening, locking into the pod every week, giving me commentary. I'm trying my hardest to get people to comment on my threads to start conversation. No, I'm not just trying to gas my pod, but I feel like it's always more effective when people hear what you have to say versus me just reading it in a DM or a personal message you might send me to my text or whatever. Um, I'd rather other people see that. And join into that conversation. I've always been that way. So thank you for all of those comments. And if you haven't listened or you're going to listen in the future, please, whenever you do, just make your comment. Drop it on the link that I put out. Um, but, yeah. So getting into this week. Man, this was a tough week. <laughs> uh, it's one of those weeks where you kind of just have life tell you the story <laughs> of where you are so on Tuesday I basically drove a kid to college helped her move in dropped her off cried yes I cried I'm not afraid to say that I cried <laughs> and then I had to reflect on the fact that damn I am 40 years old because I got an 18 year old almost 19 year old who's a freshman at college so first let me clap up my baby girl because she's a freshman at purdue in the chemical engineering program and i'm supremely excited for my young jazzy b so <laughs> now with that said i'm extremely nervous as well <laughs> i mean it's college and i went and i did college for a few years try two different colleges and I just pray <laughs> that all of the non-focus I had during that time in my life she doesn't have and I mean I'm not going to be that naive parent to not think she's not going to be exposed or introduced to the college life the college way of things stuff that I care not to say or th really want to think about, but I have to be understanding that it's probably going to come her way. But myself, her mothers, her grandparents, everyone have the ultimate faith in her that she is very much conditioned to make the most important and wise decisions because she has been structured in that manner. So, 
I'll just leave that there. So that was the first part of my week. <laughs> then I get back home Wednesday night only to prepare myself for yesterday, which was my son's senior night. Yes, I have a senior. So not only do I have one that just graduated, I got one who's going to graduate this year. So me and his mother, I had to walk him out the tunnel, be on the field, um, get his little recognition, the whole nine, and it just reflected on the fact that this boy is at the end of his <laughs> school journey. And it's just crazy to think because I just remember him playing Pop Warner football, and here he is on varsity playing in his senior year. And I'm just like, where did time go? Also reminding me that I am a 40-year-old man. <laughs> so that was the very first episode of CMH. This is 40, but now this is 40 is actually really kicking in. And I'm like, damn, like, yeah, this is happening. These kids are growing up and things are changing and my whole dynamic come next year could be completely different in the sense that two children will be in college or you know at least starting their young adulthood and I'm just like wow <laughs> so that's one part of um you know my intro or just reminiscing on this week I have to go back to last week now so not this past weekend, but the weekend before that. Um, I finished my three-part, three-different-area tattoo journey <laughs> for this summer. Um, part of my 40th year was to get back into getting tattoos. And, yeah, so I finished that, uh, like I said, two weeks ago. Um, finished, I guess, my astrology-slash-astronomy piece on my right arm. And it's crazy to think about it because I really like the product. Um, Cecilia's amazing. If you know me, everybody knows I fly to Arizona to get my tattoos done by the same artist. She's been working on me now for 10 years. But um, I guess completing that um, and remembering where it started from because <laughs> when I was uh, when I first met her, my boy Gino put me on to her and she was at a whole different shop. And uh, I hadn't had a tattoo in a while. So when I went in there, like, I was embarrassed because <laughs> I had tattoos that I was definitely not excited about or very proud of. And I knew that I needed to get them covered because they were, like, 17- and 18-year-old pieces that I got from, like, this hood tattoo artist in the back of a barbershop. His name was Freak, and he did one of them with an ink pen-type gun. Yeah, I'm saying a lot of shit. I've probably expose myself to some fucking potential dangers but I was 17 and I wanted a tattoo so you know judge yourself <laughs> right don't judge me but anywho um so it's just funny to like think about the journey that are tattoos and what's no longer there but you know it's still there because you can kind of somewhat see it through your cover-up but I was like, what the fuck was I thinking about when I got these first two on this arm <laughs> like one of them was like the worst depiction of a torse like it was like like a bull bull's head and like this 2d sideways scroll nintendo version and it just had my birthday underneath i don't know what the fuck that was about so that was at the top of my arm and then like mid arm <laughs> i had like <laughs> i had like the japanese kanji man like 
or so I thought. Everybody thinks their Japanese kanji that you get and is pictured in the book is what it says. But come to find out, and I won't say any names, but people have found out that that's not what <laughs> that's not what they thought it was, and now that shit's on their body. So you've been walking around thinking that shit is saying something that it's probably not saying, and that's always a very reflective moment. So I had this Japanese kanji, and it was like a two-part kanji where they were like connected, and it was like, so I thought, strength and power. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea why I wanted this shit, right? But as she covered it up and she, you know, she had to really define her work. So I have planets and I have other astrological symbols and stuff on my arm now. But she had to really kind of like work to cover it up. I was just thinking that she completed my arm now after all these years. Like, what the fuck was that about? And then on my other arm, <laughs> I used to hoop. And if you know me, you know I was a threat back in the day, so I'm not about to just sit here and beat my own chest. But if you've guarded me or guarded me from the times I was about 15 to 21, it was probably problematic. But anywho, everybody knows that Ann One was huge um, in the late 90s going to the early 2Ks. They just did that documentary about that, and I felt every bit of that. So I go out and get the and one guy on my left arm, and he's doing like a step back type crossover. And it was actually, I can't make this up, the picture was actually basically like a move that I really admired doing back in the day. So I was like, it was like it was destiny or something. So I got that shit on my arm, right? And then underneath it said, Mr. Clyde. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know what kind of shit I was even thinking about getting these tattoos, but the shit was not okay, right? <laughs> so then when I meet Cecilia and I show her them two whack tattoos I got on my right arm, I then had to show her this other whack tattoo I got on my left arm, and I allowed her to help me make it better or enhance it because it was just too big to cover up. And the only way I was going to be able to cover it up is by like going crazy and getting some giant flower thing on my arm. And that's just not who I am. I'm not a flower guy. So I wasn't about to have a sleeve that was flowers. That's just not me. Not knocking anybody that has that. That's just not my forte. So she put buildings and things behind it and faded out Mr. Clyde and, like, made it look like the ground. And so she put the city behind it. She put Indianapolis behind it. So, again, she did a really good job. And then I had her put, I still fucked it up, but I had her put CO up top in, like, old English. Still don't know why I was thinking that was the wave. <laughs> but so I'm looking at my left arm like, man, I wish I can redo this whole thing because this is not probably what I would have. But it's funny just going through the entire process and, you know, now, you know, forecasting my ne next tattoos for next year um, and what they're going to be. I'm like, yeah, I'm glad that I have the ability <laughs> to forethink and my tattoos now have a certain meaning behind them. And they are things that I want because they're things that I either believe in, philosophize on. Or just really live by. So <laughs> I'm glad that I'm in a, a, a point or a phase in life to be able to reflect on my own ignorance. So, you know, <laughs> before we jump into complicated or completely misunderstood, I just want to have y'all think, reflect, 
Are you in agreement with your current tattoos on your body? Okay. Now. <laughs> Jumping into the completely or complicatedly misunderstood segment, right? I have to tell you, I've been spending a ton of time in airports recently. I was doing the calculation. I'm like, man, I've been to Indy like four times since April. Uh, I've been to L.A., Arizona three times for the tattoos I just told you about. Arizona again for Ace. Uh, California three times for Ace when he was doing sevens. Been to Utah. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been in a lot of airports. Okay, <laughs> and I can't help but to think or even wonder. That's probably like, are people conditioned to move in an airport and on an airplane <laughs> like how they drive their car? <laughs> like, is that completely misunderstood or complicated? And I, and I think it's completely misunderstood for me because it makes no fucking sense. Like, it makes no fucking sense. I'm walking through airports, right? People are literally, literally on my shoe tops or on my heels. Like, they're tailgating my whole body. Bro, where are you going? <laughs> like, they have those little escalators. No, they're not escalators. Whatever them shits are called. The, the, the stand here and we'll move you to the next fucking, you know, gate thing. You know what I'm talking about? those and they have a side that you can walk on and then they have a side that you can stand on but even when you're on the stand side people are pissed that you're standing and they like zoom by you and bump you and bang you and all this other shit or you just get through security and everybody knows security is fucking terrible to even begin with you just get through fucking security <laughs> right just got through security and everybody's trying to get their shit out of the damn the the i don't know what you call it, the receptacle the bin but like nobody has any patience and they're standing there they like they're standing at the uh the, the out <laughs> of the x-ray machine and it's like bro like you literally <laughs> you literally just came through the scanner i've been out of the scanner now like three or four people ahead of you but I understand my shit still ain't came down yet. But why, if you just walked out, why are you the first one in line? What are you doing? Your shit is going to be a minute. What are you waiting for blocking shit? The, the ladies or the gentlemen's got to tell you like, yo, you can't stand here and block it. You know, wrap the line around or stand back. Your stuff will come down. Be patient. Like, where the fuck is everybody going? <laughs> like... It doesn't matter. Like, we get to the gate, and you still got, like, 45 minutes before we even board. Like, our fucking plane ain't even at the damn gate yet. Like, it's just, you look outside, and it's just the little fucking spongy accordion thing that's bumped up against nothing. Like, sit your ass down and wait. Take a minute and relax. People are merging and walking in all these random patterns like people drive. <laughs> 
like not using you know our people driving the highway not using any kind of fucking merging tactics not using signals they just cut over like oh shit there goes my exit people dart out the bathroom dart out the fucking bathroom bro and a shoot right across the starbucks like nobody's walking in either direction like what the fuck are y'all doing <laughs> so i just found myself like chuckling because thank god i took my lexapro i had to calm myself down but if i didn't take anxiety medicine when i walked in these airports bro like i would probably be the person in the corner sitting there rocking like like scared and crying because i can't take so much random movement <laughs> like so i just be like why is everybody acting like this this is completely misunderstood to me chill the fuck out and then oh oh my god please 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 don't let me get on service dogs listen bro if you just want to take your animal with you so fucking be it i'm not gonna sit here and tell you that you can't but you know what your three pound fucking cocker spaniel is not a fucking service dog bro i'm sorry if you have that three pound cocker spaniel but everybody try to wrap that little red service dog fucking harness around their animal like this animal can't help you do shit and he's actually a hazard <laughs> like it's like frogger for this little animal because you want him out here walking on the leash when he should be in a carrying case everybody potentially steps on him and harms him because we can't see his little ass so no he's not servicing you you're actually endangering him stop it please stop it or let's flip the script and you brought a whole fucking dinosaur to the <laughs> oh my god you brought a whole dinosaur to the airport where this big ass dog gonna go bro right like my boxer is 50 pounds and he's undersized for his for his breed and I know he's too fucking big, even though he's undersized, to be in the airport, then getting on the airplane. Like, you can't put him under the seat, yo. Chill. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, you know what? Let's just keep talking about the random shit in airports, because it's completely misunderstood for me, right? You see shit that angers you. Everybody wants to be comfortable that goes to the airport. That's fine. Or everybody wants to be flashy and seen when they go to the airport. There's nothing comfortable about walking through an airport from the time you get out of the parking lot, if you parked, or the time you get dropped off at the curb, walk in, get your tickets, go up an escalator, go through fucking TSA, walk to your gate, get on a fucking transport, whatever. There's nothing comfortable about that. So when you see people walking there and they got on three or four stilettos, what the fuck are you doing? Completely misunderstood. Just moving on. People come in there. They got Birkenstocks, Crocs, flip-flops, and every other type of something that rhymes with those three. And they have no socks on. Toes banged up, heels ashy as shit. And, oh, by the way, you got to go through TSA, put them stanking, raggedy motherfuckers in a bin, and then you walk the naked floor <laughs> to go through the scanner, and then you wait on the naked floor to get your shoes. You're disgusting. I don't like you. I don't want to talk about it. Moving on. Completely misunderstood, by the way. Now we're actually on the plane. 
<laughs> we're on the fucking plane. Why, oh, why? Oh, why, oh, why, oh, why? Well, you're in the back like me, because usually I'm in the back of the bus, baby. Row 28 and further. As soon as we get to our destination, wheels down, skirt, skirt, come to a slow stop, taxi on into our gate. You feel the airplane stop. You hear that boom. Everybody then stood up, straight up, start popping open bins, grabbing bags and shit, and standing, <laughs> standing directly, directly in your fucking area. It's still COVID, my friends. It's this new monkeypox shit. Flu is out and kicking ass too. You name it, and it's something new. You all in my personal space, and we are literally the last quadrant of the plane to exit. Where are you fucking going? Why can't you sit your ass down <laughs> until the other 220 people get off this fucking airplane? Because we are in rows 28 through 32, so we're the last 10, 15 people. We ain't got nowhere to go because you can't exit from the back. Sit your ass down. Completely misunderstood. Don't let me start on people who get the window seat. And I think that their bladder is maybe the size of a pea. Because while you're trying to sleep or you're trying to rest or get comfortable, you finally got the knee right. I'm always an aisle guy because I got to stretch these knees. You finally get the knee right. You got the Netflix right. You're not really watching it, but you kind of, you relax. Neck pillow working. Everything's engaged. We feeling good. Tap. The double tap. Because it started with the person at the window seat who tapped the person in the middle seat who now taps you. And then this person looking like, sorry. <sighs> First one's on me. Two through, two through three. <laughs> That's on you. I'm almost to the point like, you want to switch, dog? Because you might as well have the aisle. This last flight, this man got up four times. Now, don't mind. Get, mind you, right? It's Indy to Vegas is about three and a half hours. He got up four fucking times. I never got comfortable because I was fearing him getting up. Yet, he ordering drinks. Because you know what? Woo, we going to Vegas. If you can't handle your vodka fucking tonic or your crown and coke, don't order the shit. I'm tired of moving. Okay. And last. Oh, but not least. <laughs> Airports and airplanes. Listen, I am what you would like to call a budget flyer, right? Ain't nothing completely or complicatedly misunderstood about it. I'm just a budget flyer. You dig? So, Spirit, Frontier, used to be Southwest, though they creeping up. Never done JetBlue, but I will if they go on where I'm going. And I've never done uh, Allegiant, but I'll do it if they're going where I'm going. But I am a freaking budget flyer, okay? Why? My kids always need me to be somewhere, and I got to buy them plane tickets, this, that, and the other. Plus, I just like to travel, and I'm not bougie, so it doesn't really fucking matter who I'm flying, okay? As long as the pilot is licensed, and yes, spirit pilots are licensed, though y'all like the joke, <laughs> they are fucking licensed. I'm going to get on their plane and let them do their thing. 
take my fucking meds, make me nice and sleepy, maybe even take a drink to knock the edge off, get over the turbulence, get over the fucking wild bumps, and I'm out of there. Land it, safe, we good. Now, I bring that up because you know what? You can't be jumping on our flights, son. Okay? With your Louis, your Prada, your Gucci, your Fendi, you know what I'm saying? Your Dior shoes, all this fancy shit. And expect <laughs> us to give a shit about all your fancy shit. You see what I'm saying? So what I'm saying is, when I got my spray ground bag up the top in the bins, okay? Don't come moving my shit <laughs> or trying to find a way to not have your shit be quote-unquote scratched somewhat slightly damaged or whatever you're trying to avoid because you're trying to flaunt with your you know four thousand dollar bag on this budget flight i'm under the impression that yeah i'm on a budget flight and i got budget fucking luggage too so you know what (laughs) hey man like sure i don't want it to get destroyed but if it gets scratched or if there's you know something dirty next to it and it gets a little dirt on it yeah I'm on a $43 flight, bro. And yes, I can fly from coast to coast for 43 bucks. Don't be a hater. Just get on board. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But see, y'all get on a flight fucking up the feng shui because y'all too fancy. And then y'all want to sit here and have attitudes and problems and shit. Like, yeah, man, the seats don't recline, B. Yep, they hard as shit. You got a tiny little t- tray table to put your Netflix ipad on or whatever or even order your food or drink is not enough room it's not enough elbow room and again you chose this but us budget flyers we knows this <laughs> so we don't come on here and start complaining so if that's what you want then you got to pick the big boys the deltas you know the americans you know the the korean airs and and shit like that don't come on spirit talking shit baby the school bus in the sky we just trying to make sure our fucking seatbelt work and we gonna land where our final destination is we don't have time to flaunt and floss and do all that other shit so again crack the jokes all you want to (laughs) but when i'm on my flight i don't want to be bothered by your fucking weak bladder I don't want to see you move my bag because your bag is better. And don't come over here with an attitude because you dressed like a million bucks, but you flew for 43. Just chill the fuck out. Sit the hell down. Take a night quill or whatever you need. A fucking Benadryl. Take a nap and wake up when it's time to get the fuck off. But oh last, and I mean this, this is the last part of completely or complicatedly misunderstood. Okay? Stop hating on us. Okay, I'm going to say that. We don't need y'all post of travel agents fighting customers. We don't need y'all post of people lighting up cigarettes <laughs> on our planes. We don't need y'all post of real-life brawls happening between aisle 21 and 26. Look, man, let us be great, son. Okay, I have not been blessed enough. <laughs> okay, and I'm saying that loosely, but I've not been blessed enough to be on a flight and actually occurred or these things have occurred i have not witnessed this person lighting up a cigarette a real life fight <laughs> like and i was not in a terminal waiting 
okay, or a gate waiting for my flight and seeing a whole brawl between a travel agent and a, and a customer. So though these things are real, stop hating, bro, okay? Stop posting that shit. Stop bringing bad light to us. Let us live and let us be great. And I'm going to continue flying from state to state for 43 bucks. Moving on. <laughs> now, I promise you this week I got a real subject to talk about, and it's near and dear to me. But we're not there yet, okay? So y'all know we still trying to work out this coordination of how the show goes. So I think I got it down now, right? Got a little intro. We're going to get complicated or completely misunderstood. We're going to ride the rodeo, the rabbit hole rodeo, that is. And then we're going to break into our main topic. So this week, (laughs) rolling right into rabbit hole rodeo. I decided to do it slightly different this week, okay? So instead of me, like, really, like, breaking down a lot of things, I'm just going to play some stuff, (laughs) give it a one-two, and then I'm going to move on, right? So we got to jump into this because, man, I don't know what it is. My boy Mario said it best, but something's going on with the church, and they catching hell left and right. So we already know about Preacher Whitehead, Bishop Whitehead, and how he was flaunting. He got robbed. He now has been challenging people to boxing matches and (laughs) – uh, calling people all kind of terrible names and stuff like that when they, you know, give him a little bit of, I don't know, I guess, reality. Like, hey, sir, this is what you're doing. This is what we see. And he doesn't like that. So then he comes back and gets all defensive and starts, you know, cutting up. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping my boy Adrian over there on I Respectfully Disagree, I hope <laughs> he breaks down the latest between D.L. Hughley and uh, Bishop Whitehead, I'm not going to jump into that this week because I found something more that I wanted to talk about in the <laughs> in the pulpit chronicles because I don't know what's going on with these pastors, man, but they just been tripping. But hopefully he breaks down that. But I'm going to jump into what happened in Kansas City. So dig this. I know you're still poor, broke, busted, and disgusted because of how you've been honoring me. I'm not worth your McDonald's money. Come on. Come on. I'm not worth your Red Lobster money. Come on. I ain't worth your St. John Nick. Y'all can't afford it no how. I ain't worth y'all Louis Vuitton. Come on. I ain't worth your Prada. I'm not worth your Gucci. Not that Movado. You can buy a Movado watch in Sam's. And y'all know I asked for one last year. Here it is the whole way in August. I still ain't got it. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Bro, what? (laughs) Like, no, no, and more no. This cannot be real, son. You got people yelling out in the congregation talking about, come on, pastor, preach. Or they say, take your time, pastor, that type of statement. Like, what are we talking about? This guy is literally calling his congregation broke for not taking care of him as if their money is designed solely to take care of him. This is exactly what Adrian was explaining on his show a couple weeks back. Same thing I kind of tapped on when we were talking about the preacher. Like, But now you can't help but to think, well, did this preacher from Kansas City hear what Bishop White side or Whitehead, I think it's Whitehead, what he said and now he wants the glory? You going to tell these folks what they haven't bought you? 
all the way down, all the way down <laughs> to the very, very crux of it. A watch. You can't buy me Gucci. I'm not worth your McDonald's money. Bro, what? Now, I would be wrong if I didn't tell you that he then would issue an apology. And he had a pretty long apology, and I'm not going to break it all down. But I'm just going to play just a little piece of the apology. So here we go. My actions and my words are inexcusable. I offer no justification or defense. That moment was mishandled and mismanaged. I deeply regret this moment, and I solicit your prayers and your forgiveness as we grow forward. Thank you. God bless you. Go with God, and he'll go with you. Now, look, I got only God can judge me on my chest, and I know good and damn well that I do things that are not right, and I always got to ask for forgiveness. But you know what? Sometimes, just sometimes, right, <laughs> we have to remove ourselves from the situation and just look from the other view. Bruh, you can't make an apology, <laughs> right, that says there's no justification or no reason for what you said. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. You wanted people to feel ashamed and feel bad for not taking care of you as if that's their job. They come there to hear the word. And we always talk about in the black community that church is somewhat damning because are we learning the right principles or is this a fashion show? Are we being robbed? Are we being ripped off? Is it just only gossip that's happening here? Like, what is actually going on inside of the places that we're supposed to be coming to worship and release our pain and hurt and hear the word of God? So I say that to say you were caught up in some very materialistic things, and I'm no one to judge because I'm damn sure not in his position as a pastor or a preacher. But the worldly parts of his life came out, and they were very true because you called your entire congregation out. You're sorry, I'm sorry does not hit home. Like, you really need to unearth where that came from. So, yes, I do want justification. You don't get the, the pass in saying that you, there's no justification. There is, and we need to hear that. In order for us to trust you going forward, if I was a member of this congregation who's been embarrassed and told what I'm not, and I'm broke because I'm not funneling you know, money into your pockets to make your life more glorified and better, or you carry and create yourself in the image that you want. Yeah, I need more than that, son. I need way more than uh, no justification or warrant no reason. Yeah, it did. Where did that come from and why? And unfortunately, <laughs> seeing how, you know, I am a member of this congregation, I got a choice to make. I'm disrespected by the man that we follow. So now what? I think you lose all your sheep in that. Just my thoughts, but who am I? And that's a tag to my boy. Boy, come back, Cyrus King. Because <laughs> the way you always tagline, who am I? Boy, it goes perfect. So I hope you listen to this app because I'm calling you back out, man. It's time. Now, moving on because there's more to talk about. Just dig this. Wild statement. 
Dove is out here making both chocolate and soap. I never questioned it. I never, I never thought about it. That's random shit. Rabbit hole took me there. Dove makes both chocolate and soap. I don't even think we need to even go further into that, but that's two random things to be made by the same company. Two different departments, sure. Eat one, wash one. But at the end of the day, I don't know if I'm okay with the same company making two different things and two completely different lights underneath the same tag. Something's bound to go wrong, and I'm in the world of OSHA. I don't even want to think about it. Just leave it there. Moving on. Look at this crazy shit, man. Like, like, for real, bro. She want me to hit her. No, I just want you to put the refrigerator in the house. We can't lift that thing. We don't even have a dolly. We'll go down to the Home Depot, rent a truck, and pick one up, bring it up. I'm working, we working right now. She laying under the tire on the truck. And she wanna die. <laughs> okay so the story that goes along with that clip is these guys were hired to bring out a refrigerator to someone's house however i don't believe that the women paid for true delivery and installation i think they just paid for delivery so apparently the delivery workers dropped off the refrigerator, okay, and were then attempting to leave because they've done their job for this particular customer. But <laughs> without them, I guess, being aware of what they didn't pay for, the customers are pissed and want them to do more than what they've actually, I guess, paid for or even known the service was about. And so in an attempt to keep them there and force them to do this extra work, one woman literally crawls underneath the damn delivery truck and lays there, <laughs> daring the driver, of course he's not going to do this, to run her over if he's attempting to leave without putting the refrigerator in the house. And she's literally laying there and he's like, yo, we're trying to work and we got other places to be. And she was like, well, put the refrigerator in the house. So I had to do some work digging. And that's, I read everything that I just talked about. So in an ultimate Karen moment, <laughs> when they're not getting their way, they say, well, I'm going to take matters into my own hand. If I can't get my way, I'm going to just be a complete child. And she's literally laying under the tire. And this man can do nothing but just, I guess, allow her to lay there until whenever. I don't know how it end up, you know, closing, what end up happening to, to remove uh, the situation that was going on. But the video just shows one lady on one side, seemingly like she's somewhat kind of tucked her foot <clears throat> behind the tire. So if he was the reverse, he would run over her leg. And then the other lady is laying right <laughs> in the middle of where the door opens. So if he was to back up, he would literally have to run over her entire body. Completely asinine. Completely ridiculous. I have no idea what they're thinking about. But just something I've seen on a rabbit hole. And lastly, 
I'm sure everybody who follows <laughs> any kind of like gym page on IG <clears throat> has seen this random guy. This random guy. And I think it's actually guys now because I think it's another guy that's doing this. But let's just stick with the random guy because I know I've seen him on multiple. Lifting the most ridiculous random shit in the gym. <laughs> Bro, enough's enough. We've seen you do pull-ups where you're using the weighted like chains <clears throat> and wrapped, you know, an incline bench around your waist and did pull-ups. We've seen dips when you got an incline bench some kind of way affixed to your back and you're trying to do dips. We've seen the most random shit that is either attempting to show your fortitude or your pure strength or your ignorance. It's one or the two. But I don't know what gym allows this. I don't know what gym is taking this on as a potential uh, safety hazard <laughs> or lawsuit. But y'all need to stop this shit. Unless this man or multiple individuals own <laughs> the gyms that they're doing this shit in, stop this shit immediately. Because I am sick and tired of seeing this man lift the shit that's supposed to be support equipment. Lift the damn weights. Okay, lift the damn weights or lift nothing. We're sick of this shit. This rabbit hole rodeo was quite a wild one. <laughs> Moving on. Okay, so in all seriousness, right? Like, this podcast is definitely therapeutic. And first, let me say, I have not, as I mentioned before, let go of the CO and the doctor podcast. Literally, though, literally, both Proc and I, every time we create an agenda to attempt to put a show together, life has happened. I'm not kidding. Season four has been the most difficult for us to shoot. And it hasn't even been the one that's been met with the most random <laughs> situations. I've been deployed three times since we started this podcast. We've had, you know, some tragedy strike, both of us. And the list goes on and on and on. But we always seem to get 20 episodes at least each season. We're at a whopping nine. So you know what, P? <laughs> we got to at least get to double digits, bro. Episode 10 has got to happen at some point. But in the meantime, in between time, to steal Mario's words, we're going to keep rolling with CMH. And when he has the opportunity, he might give you 20 minutes with a doc or so. So I say that because this next topic, which is, of course, the serious one, it's usually something that makes CO and the doctor. This is what kind of gave us our name when we first started podcasting. Because we would talk about things that I felt like a lot of people didn't want to talk about. A lot of people didn't want to elaborate on. Or, simply put, it's just easier to stay quiet and not bring any heat or an attention to yourself for your viewpoint. A lot of times you have to tread lightly in what you say. This is the era of uh, 
oh man, cancel culture. There you go. Sorry, slipped my mind for a moment. I've had a few. But in an effort to continuously let conversation influence us, we always dare to take the challenge to no kid and put our true feelings out on every topic to ensure that anyone that would listen knew where we were coming from and hope that that would then give them courage or just the idea that it's okay to say what you mean and mean what you say. And so with that, this is one that's really serious to me. And for the next 15 or 20 minutes or so, I'm going to say what I mean and mean what I say. Last week when we heard that a coach and a father was killed in an act of violence stemming from a disagreement during a youth football game, immediately, immediately, I was reminded of the worst of times from when I was a youth football coach. Now, there's a lot to say here. And I'm not even going to talk about the particulars as far as like who's involved and stuff like that. So if you don't know, um, a professional football player's brother is the, at the moment, um, the suspect in this situation. But again, I'm, that's neither here nor there. I, I'm, I'm not reporting the news like a CNN. I'm just talking about how I feel about this situation. When it comes to youth sports, it's been said time and time and time again that us as parents, specifically, more so specifically men, we try to have our children live out our dreams, <laughs> right? Like, we feel that in a game that's being played by seven-year-olds all the way up to 14, 15, the end of youth football, that these kids are the next, you name it. And though that may be the case for a very, very, very select few, most of these kids will never see the light of day when it comes to NFL. But we have that in our hearts that it's going to be our boy. And I'm telling you right now, those situations, those feelings, those unwanted pressures onto these children are the reasons that situations like what happened with that coach occur. Because our emotions for the sport, our emotions that are connected to our child's success or lack thereof in some instances, drive us to make the most irrational statements, the most unreasonable judgments and sometimes unfortunately unforgivable actions 
at what point, at what point can a child's game anger me to that level that I have to take it there? So not only has a man lost his life, but effectively in one mind-numbing action, You have traumatically, traumatically influenced children to the point that they will, and I mean this, they will never, they will never be the same. They've seen a coach die, a child lost a father, Friends lost a friend. A wife lost a husband. It goes on and on and on and on and on. Over a child's game. So let's attack youth sports. We have put so much stress on these children to make every play to be so hardened and so conditioned to go out there and lay their I'm saying this loosely but you know what I mean lay their little lives on the line for whatever game it is that they're playing as if it matters more than the hour (laughs) that's been allotted for that game We have turned youth sports that we've seen in other states, I believe it was Florida, into gambling rings where people went to jail for big years for gambling on youth sports and putting that type of illegal activity again into a child's game. So, yes, at some point, emotions are almost inevitable However, (laughs) at some point, a situation like this is also nearly inevitable. Usually what you see is parents in an uproar based on the referees. Oh, by the way, they're getting some simple stipend. Or sometimes they're even volunteer. But what they are not are professionals who went to, you know, High-level classes. Now, don't get me wrong. Refs usually have to take a course to just understand the basic principles of the game and how to do it. But they're getting paid pennies. They might be out there all day fighting the heat or the elements or whatever it may have you. And then that entire day of refing six to seven games, they might have made 120 bucks. Yet, <laughs> they've received death threats, <laughs> they've received, you know, every vile uh, description of who they are based on their referee ability. They have been uh, insulted. Who knows if they have family or friends out there, but they now have to 
hope that no one knows if they do because that person might be accosted in the stands because their parent or friend or family member or whoever is out there refing to the likeness or non-likeness of whoever <laughs> has an issue with it. But usually it's them that's getting this type of treatment. Not necessarily, you know, uh, fight or death, but definitely harsh judgment for what they're trying to do. Yet it's still a youth game. Now, take it to the kids, right? Because like anything or anyone, certain situations will then develop you as a person, or in this case, a player. So an innocent child who's been coached to a certain standard of aggression, <laughs> physicality, arrogance, ego, you name it, has now lost all innocence when it comes to not being prideful, not being someone who's a gloater, being humble, having humility. Like, these games are not designed to be everyone's end-all career. These games are actually designed to help build certain traits, character, teamwork, effort, courage, but we've turned it into like a gladiator barbarian type of atmosphere. And I'm not just talking about the sport. This is in all of them. Competitive nature. Now, you know, we've gotten a bad rap for everybody gets a participation trophy. And I understand that. Uh, there's nothing learned and just handing somebody a trophy because that's what's supposed to happen at the end of the season. Sure, it looks nice on the kid's dresser, on their wall or whatever. But at the end of the day, at certain points in time, though, I will say that at certain points in time, the child must understand that everybody can't be a winner and there's going to be losers. So I'm not here to combat that or to say that that's wrong. But what I'm here to say, right, is that regardless, win or lose, the plastic trophy <laughs> that they're going to receive or the fake ring that they're going to wear is not worth that child being stripped and robbed of basic human decency because they've been trained to be warriors, killers, predators, whatever you want to call it in the name of a football or basketball like, that's not okay because those are habits and those, those are traits that they can't undo. And usually these kids grow up and they continue that. And when they get to the point <laughs> where they're now very much living it as a high schooler, you know, whatever, and they're, ar they're arrogant, they ego, they don't have a work ethic, they've just been told their entire life they're great and they're killers and this, that, and the other, now they're uncoachable. And everybody wants to know, like, well, where did this kid go wrong? It started on the gridiron when they were fucking seven. Which brings me to another fucking point. And I mean this one more than anything. And I am absolutely 
not giving myself a pass for some of the thoughts and theories I have portrayed upon my own child. Not necessarily the the team that I coach, but definitely on my own child because just like I said earlier, you do have a certain feeling of emotions toward your own child. And you want your child to be the best. You want your child to be the, the hardest hitter. You want your child to be the fastest kid. So on and so forth. So you put more pressure into their world. And the reason why I say this is because what I'm seeing <laughs> time and time again is that these kids are starting younger and younger and younger and younger. And it used to be, be this saying, start them young. You know what I mean? Get them out there so they can do this. No, 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 no. Starting them young is what you want to do because you want to give them the more the most time that's possible in their youth career before they get to high school. Oh, fuck it. Before they get to middle school, high school to develop. So when they are of that age, they're almost like some kind of, you know, prodigy. But we got to ask ourselves, and sometimes we don't even give a shit, but we got to ask ourselves, does these kids even want to do the things that we're putting them through? Growing up, I had a summer every year. Every single damn year I had a summer where I spent with my cousins, spent with my grandparents, did things that were non-sports related, had fun. Nowadays, second, third grade shit, these kids are traveling all year round. They're literally playing the sport that you put them in all year round. That's not healthy. That's not healthy for their natural state of growth, their mental, their physical. We're not allowing their little growth plates to do what they're supposed to. If they're playing football, especially in the Southwest, that's where Ace started. They get three full seasons in one calendar year. So this boy was playing football year round. The only time he wasn't playing football was the actual middle of summer when it's just unbearably hot. So from about June through mid to late August, there's no football because it's just brutally hot. But well before he hit middle school, yeah, he was playing year round. You got a winter, a spring, and a fall. Each with about eight games in a tournament. And this kid is six, seven, eight years old. This is a lot of hitting and grinding on a little body that's still trying to develop growth plates. Not to talk about how much head clacking they doing. So who knows what's going on inside their little brains. And this is just football. But shit, you can do this with basketball too. We all know when kids are kids, their bodies are very, very, very Stretch Armstrong-like. They can bend in directions and fall weird and you just think the worst and they pop up and run and they're perfectly fine. Things that you know when they turn 19, 20 are ruptures, tears, whatever. But while we're putting all this stress and torque on these young bodies, now when they're getting of age and it's actually time for them to perform, because know what? It might start to matter now. College is around the corner, so on and so forth. Kid might really have a future, be a one and done in college and really have the next shot at the next level. But now they're dealing with stress fractures. 
Now they're dealing with the tears and stuff like this because their body has not truly rested. So A is growing and doing what the natural, I guess, autonom- anatomical uh, growth spurts are supposed to do. But then we're introducing them to weights at young ages, trying to get them stronger and bigger. Oh, and they're dealing with just the actual stress of the contact of whatever sport they're playing. And, oh, yeah, by the way, they're only 16 years old. But they got 10 years. 10 years. They got a 10-year career already. A 10-year career already. You kidding me? So the things that I did wrong (laughs) as a coach was thinking that every single game was going to be a defining moment for this child. What are things that I did wrong as a coach? Was to create some type of enemy on the other side of the field. Getting my kids in a state of take their ass out, bury them without using the wrong words to justify what I'm trying to get across as a point. Sure, competition isn't based on, hey, just show up and play. You absolutely got to work hard, execute, go out there, and perform. But the thought that life or death or whether or not you're going to make it professionally depends on what happens on a Saturday between the hours of 2 and 3 o'clock at the local park where everybody at the end of the game is going to get oranges and a Capri Sun and a bag of chips (laughs) as the reward for the win or as the sympathy for the loss is absolutely asinine and completely ridiculous. And now take it back to the beginning of where we started with a coach and a father losing his life. That whatever was happening in that game frustrated grown men to the point of fighting to then up it to the next level, to the point of shooting, to then elevate it to the next level, which was somebody losing their fucking life. It's absolutely asinine and ridiculous. And the point that we are right now has nothing, has nothing as a potential remedy because it's gone on for too long. It's gone on for way too fucking long. So everybody has this code of conduct and they got these rules and regulations that you're supposed to read and sign and all that shit. But you know what? That's just checking a box and dropping a piece of paper into a file and saying that every parent, coach, and spectator has been briefed before our season starts. We all clap. We all talk about sportsmanship. And then we go out there and we commit these same fucking actions weekly. I remember... This is after my youth football coaching career. Because once Ace hit sixth grade, I knew that it was time for him to go to coaches who would prepare him for the next level. Why? Because they're already there. So I would individually coach him. We'll still do our calisthenics, still do our training drills, that type of stuff, work on basic things he's learning from practice and making sure that I'm definitely, you know, adhering to what the coach needs him to do, that type of thing. But I stopped coaching him in the sense of you're on my team. 
But I'll never forget this. We're in Texas now. He's in seventh or eighth grade, and he's in the last few years of his youth football career. And his team were playing their rivals. And the teams were only rivals because the coaches had split as a faction. One took over this team. One went this way. They had some kind of ugly dispute way before we got there. And now they just created two fucking organizations that truly, when I say truly, truly hate one another. Now, this is a highly anticipated game, okay? Like, you would think that this shit was like, <laughs> no kidding, a playoff game and the winner is going to the Super Bowl. Like, that's that's the atmosphere it had. This was a regular season game, though. We weren't even in the state playoffs yet, nothing like this. This is a regular Saturday game. We were being told early on in that week, hey, look, Parents, I need you guys to keep your cool. These other parents are going to try to, like, draw you out of your, your normal character traits and push you to the point of potentially a fight or getting thrown out at a minimum. So I'm like, this can't be that serious. Like, no way. Like, I've been doing this youth football thing now for six, seven years, and Sure, some some tempers may flare, but nothing to the point where we got to be briefed about who we're playing. Oh, but yes. <laughs> I'm standing on the sideline, and I'm just videotaping. And the game is pretty tight, going back and forth. Very close game until the fourth quarter. Things got super chippy, super, super chippy. And parents started chirping. So it was almost like it, it was just predicted that it was going to go this way. So I'm like, oh, man. And I'll never forget this. I will never forget this. I'm recording. I had just paused because, you know, the rest were on the field and they were trying to, like, break some shit up or whatever. So I wasn't going to waste my battery. And I remember panning to the right, and I seen some parents, like, lining up, almost creating, like, a wall and not really paying attention to where our parents were. I was like, well, shit. They're kind of like in this formation that barricades our parents. <laughs> like, in order to get off the field, we would have to push through them. And there was this guy that I, and I have a really keen sense of hearing, so I can really hear. Uh, he was like, Yeah, bro, look at my hands. He's like, I wore every ring I had just in case shit was going to get fucking knuckle deep and I'm ready. And I looked at his hands, and he had on all rings that looked like class rings. <laughs> like they were just big, stupid rings. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, hold up. My wife's here. My mom is here. My fucking tiny baby son is here. Of course, my son is playing on the field is here. But I am potentially amidst an atmosphere of violence over a fucking youth football game and potentially everyone in my family's in danger because, hell, I don't have weapons and it's illegal to bring weapons and shit like that's supposed to be to public places where children are involved. But I might have to fight us out of here or link forces with the other dads from our team to fight the dads of that team to hope that our boys can get to safety. Like, what the fuck is going on? And that's where we are in this whole fucking thing when it comes to what we're witnessing in youth sports. And the shit is sad. It's absolutely 
absolutely gone on too long. And there's no hope for the future when it comes to this. The only thing that I can think of, I'm not kidding, and it'll never happen because there's too much money in it, is to take it back old school like we were. We had one season, bro. We played in the fall, and it was over after that. So I guess it's almost like minimize the amount of football or basketball or baseball or whatever to potentially minimize the acts of violence, the even threat of violence, the idea that it's okay to get to a point of violence over a child's game. Man, I can go on and on and on and on and on. But at that point, I would just be rambling. And this is the complicatedly misunderstood hour, <laughs> not the complicatedly misunderstood saga. So I have to break because I'm over my time. But this is something to any parent, male or female, who will listen to this. Think about your most embarrassing moment as a parent at a youth sporting event. Have you really reflected on just how out of pocket you might have got? Have you really reflected on what type of scenario could have occurred because you were out of pocket? And then imagine that your situation or your scenario was a situation that just happened when this man lost his life and you were there as witness or you were there as accomplice or you were there as actual perpetrator. It doesn't matter. Think about it in that light. Ask yourself who who is truly affected by that situation? Sure, the family of the members, the family members of the person that lost his life are greatly affected, greatly impacted. I understand. You can never, ever return someone back. No life is ever, ever valued enough when it comes to situations like this. But think about what we've just taught these kids. Think about what we just showed these kids. Think about how these kids now will see things going forward. All over a game that we trained them to be barbarians at. When in all honesty, they should have just been out there burning off some, <laughs> some steam. And learning how to be part of a team. This is very passionate to me. Because though I've never went that far. I have been supremely angry at a referee. I've been supremely angry at coaches that hell my son played for for not playing him or not giving him the opportunity. Hell, I've been mad at other parents for teaching their kids dirty tactics. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So though I'm not conditioned to take it that far, I was still conditioned enough to be as angry, as upset as I was, and that could have potentially, at least at a minimum, been a fight had the right person said the wrong shit to me. But yet, the moral of the story would have been, 
I'm fighting and showing my ass and acting an idiot in front of children who are then conditioning themselves and saying, like, this environment is okay. This environment sometimes working in a very mysterious way hypes me up. I like drama. I like crazy shit. I like it when it's wild. And then when they're older and they are really, really conditioned from all of this trauma because they've been playing this shit now for 10, 12 years and they're only 18 years old, they are really a dangerous force. <laughs> but we created them from babies to be this way. Just think about that shit. That to me is complicated as hell. That to me is terrible. And that to me is why the entire youth sports industry is absolutely gone to shit and I'm sick of it. And this is the Complicated Misunderstood Hour. Thank you. Thank you.